0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one of a kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: I'd rather be fat and happy than skinny and sad. That's true.
2: I've been both. They're pros <laughs> <cunts>. and <laughs> oh,
1: Welcome to the Body Image Podcast, it's Greta and Jill. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except for real, nobody's going to notice if you didn't read the book and are just showing up to, like, eat the snacks or whatever. I'm here with Heather Havrileski. She writes the Ask Polly Advice column for New York Magazine. Hey, Heather. Hi, Greta. Also here is Jill Hopkins. She's the host of The Morning Amp on WBEZ's sister station Vocalo. Hey, Jill. Hello, Greta. We finished this damn book. Woo! Woo! Ah! Woo!
2: We did it.
0: We did it. Mm, (laughs) Body
2: rolls. Body (laughs) rolls. Those are out loud in Gilead. Don't even try it.
1: Okay, so what I'm thinking is I think we should do like a quick run through of the main plot points. And then I think we should talk about the things we liked and i feel like that's going to be real quick and then in the second half we can really dive into our like major grievances with this book how does that sound to y'all all right cool cool all right so plot points everything is generally pretty easy for everyone We start with Agnes. She tries to learn to read. It seems to be hard, but then three years pass, and all of a sudden, it's easy. Folders magically appear on her desk. She finds out about Paula, her stepmother, who's horrible, and Commander Judd, who's also horrible. And then, all of a sudden, she gets the Bloodline genealogical archive folder that says that her mom is a handmaid, and there's a picture of her. And... It says that her sister is baby Nicole and there's like this amazing handwritten note on that that says Nicole is in Gilead and for some reason Agnes is like, oh yeah, Lydia is totally giving me these fucking files. (laughs) So from there, Lydia gives Agnes and Daisy a mission, which is to escape to Canadia. And Becca decides to stay behind. Well, Becca doesn't decide. She's told to stay behind. From there, Judd catches wind. They got to move fast. Daisy magically is able to, like, punch people into strokes really fast. (laughs) Uh, They go on a bus. They go to a coffee shop. They get on a truck. They go on a boat. They go on a littler boat. They get to the beach. and, And that's it. It's happily ever after. Oh, and Daisy gets some antibiotics for her weird infected arm. And she meets her mom. And then there's another goddamn symposium. So it's just all happily ever after for everybody.
2: Well, not everybody.
1: Not everybody. Poor
2: Becca. That's a
1: very good point. It did not go well for Becca. No. Why didn't we see that happen? Not to be evil, but... Yeah, that's yeah that, yeah that that's a good point. It was not predictable, is what you're saying. Well, I don't want to skip ahead. There are so many things to there talk about. There are so <laughs> many things to talk about. Okay, so what I thought we could do from here is listen to a couple different voicemails. One is less pleased. One is pretty pleased. Well, let's just listen to them. We'll go from there. Hey, this is Sarah from Tennessee. I'm a huge Margaret Atwood fan. I've read a lot of her books and loved them. She's really brilliant. I wanted to like The Testaments, and it was fine, but it's definitely not Margaret Atwood at her best. It made me think of the Twitter game where they say, what would you tweet out so everyone would know that you've been kidnapped against your will and all you could do was tweet. (laughs) And I thought of that when at the end, everyone's reunited and they're hugging and crying. And I thought that was the least Margaret Atwood thing I had ever read. (laughs) So um, she might be signaling us somehow to send help. Uh, thanks for the book club. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing I especially loved about that voicemail is like she was not super happy with the quality of the book overall, but still enjoyed the book club, which is kind of how I felt about it, too. Right. I was like, you know, like this book could have been better, but I sure have had a great time chatting with you two about it. Silver line. Yeah.
3: yeah. And also imagine having to read this without being able to talk it through exactly
1: exactly because yeah we got thoughts okay let's listen to another one this is a lovely person named holiday my rating would be seven and a half milkshakes
0: because no one wants warm milk and 10 warm milks would be the worst rating but everyone loves ice cream i'm not afraid to give low ratings but i still rate this book highly even though i recognize it does have flaws it feels rushed ada totally should have been read. and who the fuck is garth This would have been a stronger book if it had zero connection to Offred and her children and maybe had a true believer's perspective. But the book let us know from the beginning that this is a story about the fall of Gilead. Does it seem
1: realistic? Not at all. But The Handmaid's Tale, I feel, was written at a time when we needed to be
0: warned against misogynistic tyrannies. And now that we've realized that we're living in one, we need to have a book that says societies can change. There's hope.
1: There's hope. Was this book too optimistic and unrealistic? Sure. But for me, when times are dark, I want to imagine a better future. Seven and a half milkshakes, y'all. Mm. That's pretty high praise. That brings a lot of boys to the yard.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah. Regimes can change. If people put file folders in the right place, (laughs) exactly.
1: That's kind of yeah, like or if you happen to be a kidnapped baby. And what
2: a long game, right? Like a weird tattoo. First, we have to teach her how to read. (laughs) Yeah, and then we have to teach her how to read at an adult level. And then we have to make her interested in (laughs) random file folders and not like art. Or whatever. <laughs>
3: and, and what's strange is her personality seems to get worse. The same could be said for the three of us. Did you notice that? <laughs> I mean, that's odd. <laughs> very nice. Okay, I well, mean, I was surprised she doesn't have it. She's not that very skeptical after reading. She gets more believing almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's listen to one more voicemail and then we can kind of jump in a little more. Hey, Nerdette. It's Annie. So I have a lot of problems with this book, which I'm not going to go into because I trust you all to discuss those. But I will
0: say, as somebody who watched the television show, that I was sort of satisfied with the amount of Aunt Lydia backstory that we got in this book. So for that reason, I'm satisfied with it. It was a fun read, and I would say
1: overall, I give it... Let's say six mint teas. I will not give it a warm milk rating because warm milk is disgusting. Bye. People really do not like the warm milk scale.
3: (laughs) You know, it's interesting because today I tried to bring warm milk.
1: (laughs) What happened?
3: Um, I ended up putting a mint tea bag into the warm milk. (laughs) Because I couldn't handle the warm milk alone at all. And they drink a lot of mint tea. Hot mint milk is what you're drinking. (laughs) It's not hot mint milk. You're not not making it sound very good. It's okay. It's not not terrible. It's better than
2: milk. Let's put it that way. Better than warm milk. Justin brought us mint tea today. Yeah. It's lovely. He did? He did.
3: It's
1: so refreshing.
3: This is bullshit. Justin... I know you have i I know you have connections
1: down here in l a and you could have just as easily rigged it up so I want to know what you two would rate it on the warm milk scale or I guess whatever other beverage you want but what do you, what are you thinking like if you had ten stars that you could
2: give this book, how many would you I want to say like six and a half wow Okay. six and a half it's not as good as I wanted it to be or even expected it to be. But I didn't not enjoy reading it. And, like, I saw a man... I was on the bus yesterday, and I saw a man walking down the street with a copy of this book, and uh-huh. I wanted to be like, "Hey, I want to talk to you." Yeah. About it. So, I mean, there's something to say about that. Like, if it's that's if it's, a good point. That's know, actually a really good point. Making me want to share opinions about it with strangers. With strangers <laughs> who are just minding their own business <laughs> on the street. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree with, the, with with Annie that I did appreciate all of the Lydia backstory because that was kind of the thing that I wanted the most out of this.
1: What do you think, Heather? Um, yeah,
3: I mean, I, I agree about Lydia, the backstory. That was the highlight of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm going to have to give it four. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Four
3: warm milk teas. <laughs> um, because mostly my problem is that, you know, The Handmaid's Tale had a lot of images in it. It evoked a, a claustrophobic feeling. Mm-hmm. It was such a specific tone. Mm-hmm. Such a... It, took you to this place that you hadn't been before. Um, and this book, to me, was all dialogue. I mean, essentially, most of the stuff that you find out is just you find out through dialogue. There's a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. And my expectations were high. I expected some... I, I just didn't think it was that artful. I feel like the, the drop-off between, from The Handmaid's Tale to this book is almost perplexing,
1: like, confusing, I think I agree with you, and I would also give it a four. And I do wonder how much high expectations play into that. Like, as a standalone book, I probably would have been less annoyed with it. But to place it next to Handmaid's Tale is really disappointing, I think.
2: Yeah. So, and, and especially after the television show, I can't imagine being someone who had, who just saw the television show and, like, was like, this is my shit. I'm totally into this TV show. <laughs> and then like going back and then reading the handmaid's tale and me like oh yeah this is oh the source material is so raw <laughs> and i have all this happen within like 12 months of each other and get you, you've been oh i this is going to be is it. yeah i don't know why i gave that person that you're voice you're just picturing <laughs> that dude with book that you saw yesterday they love raw things but like imagine like tea. just finding out about the handmade sale like, a year ago, and then finally getting your hands on this. Yeah. And, like, I, I think it would be more disappointing if this was, like, a new, new thing for me. Like, I've just come to be disappointed by life in general at this
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> so. I do think there are still some redeeming elements of it that I think we should unpack before we get away with complaining about it too much. Um, but I mean, one thing that I really loved, like I think there are some really important themes to be had in this book that are worth talking about. you know, and and I think like the ideas around freedom were something that I had brought up when we had talked about Handmaids Tale. But I think too, like trauma and and especially when you're young and you go through fucked up things and the work that you kind of do to have to justify them and to find peace with them, even though they were horrible, I thought, was pretty compelling. And I think, too, like the idea that you don't actually need maybe an effective totalitarian regime. You just need a lot of mean girls and horrible women to oppress each other, I think, is also kind of terrifying and and pretty resonant with the way things are going right now, too, right? Mm.
3: The ease with which people are manipulated was a little bit disappointing, but I do mm-hmm. think that it's true that in some ways it laid out how— um, through Aunt Lydia's character, we saw how kind of easy it can be also. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, a little flattery. Um, Oh, she told me, you know, misinformation. You see it on Survivor, sure. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) possibly in a more efficient and uh, dramatically compelling format. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting part of the book, how it, it actually struck me how simple it could be within that situation Without any internet, without any gossip, without any network of people
1: talking to each other. You know, when people are cut off from each other. Yeah. You have a lot of power. Especially coming out of Handmaids, you're kind of like, oh, there's no way she could ever get out of this. You know, like, how do you escape this?
2: And to have the entire society escape this in just the next generation isn't something that I thought this book would kind of accomplish. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, oh, yeah, this goes on for another hundred years. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's a little bit of a, um, a small-scale aspect to I mean, more than a little bit. The The Handmaid's Tale, it sort of feels almost like you can't see all of Gilead when you're reading. But in this, well, I think one of the problems I had with this book, it's almost like you can see all the characters, but it's a big place. It seems, it's confusing how, it just felt yeah. like.
1: They, she made it easy on herself, you know? Right. Because we still only had, like, we may have had just as many named characters, really, as we did in Handmaid's Tale. But this, the, the scope of even just the sheer distance between them was a lot bigger.
3: Well, whatever. I keep wanting to
1: swerve the car <laughs> into,
3: <laughs> into the criticism territory, but I'll stop.
1: <laughs> I do love how complicated Lydia was, though, right? And that's something we've talked about kind of over the course is, like... Just those motivations and how confusing it is and how, I don't know, it reminded me of something that Atwood actually says in the acknowledgements of this book, too, which is uh, very little in history is inevitable. And I think, you know, when you're on the other side of whatever event it is, it seems really obvious that that's the way it was going to go. But to think about, like, all of the tiny steps that maybe didn't seem intentional or seem to have a direction, Mm. I think is kind of an interesting thing to to think about.
3: She's pretty... um I don't know. She,
1: <laughs> just ignore me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So we can we can get to some snark. I think we should note, did either of you read any reviews once you finished it? No, I didn't.
3: Yes. I did read uh, one review. Okay. Which one? In the New York Times. In the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Which was generally pretty complimentary. Yes, it was. I thought it was a gloss. Yeah. Can I read you a line from it that I thought yeah. was really funny? Yes. Jeez. The main—actually, it's more than one line. Is that okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are the rules? Okay. Um, the main storyline in the Testaments is a kind of spy thriller about a mole inside Gilead who is working with the Mayday resistance to help bring down the evil empire. It's a contrived and heavily <laughs> stage-managed premise, but contrived in a Dickensian sort of way, uh-huh. with coincidences that reverberate with philosophical significance. <laughs> Okay, so that that to me is like the gloss of the century. Uh Um, Hey, it's kind of trashy and it's all sort of dialogue. But you guys, Charles Dickens was kind of trashy, too. (laughs) And also philosophical significance, please. (laughs) I mean, I don't I don't see it. Do you see it? I don't. I'm just like where I kept waiting for some philosophical and political significance.
2: There was potential for it, and there was expectation for it. Like you know, the, the Handmaid's Tale kind of changed the game. It, it put another book into the curriculum of, of, of any young budding academic feminist. They're not. This book's not making it to the classroom, I don't think.
1: Mm-mm. No, I would hope not. It's, it's not funny that not very written. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of good, like amazing writing. No, what it kind of feels to me is that she had like bullet points. And she just wrote between those to get you know like it mm-hmm. it feels very uh, like perfunctory like it was just like well and then this is going to happen and this and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and I mean one person on Twitter did point out Heather to your point last week about how there's not a lot of emotion in this book which is partly mm-hmm. what makes it so frustrating because it's just all action and there's very little reflection and you know the 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 structure of this story is that they're w- witness testimonies which i mean we don't end up getting to know what kind of like trial or whatever that is mm-hmm. but that is not necessarily the venue where you would want to be super emotional which i think is an interesting argument but still kind of a bummer you know like it's it's a convenient structure to have to avoid actually writing elaborate feelings you know yeah
3: oh i guess that is an excuse for not having any description Right, because it's just
1: an oral history. Yeah, I think that is, like, a good point. Um, It got a 4.3 on Goodreads out of five, which I also found kind of surprising. Mm. Weird. And The Guardian called it Atwood at her best in its mixture of generosity, insight, and control.
2: I'm making a face.
1: (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at her best, like, that's, yeah, that one's tough for me to to get behind. So, yeah, let's just, like, bitch really hard right after the break.
0: (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: Heather, I want to start with you. What did you do when you finished this book?
3: Oh, my God. I turned to my husband. It was last night. He was reading something else, something better. Um, And I turned to him and I was like, there's another Rehash at the end of this stupid book because when I'd read the Handmaid's (laughs) Tale, I was like, "What is this horse shit?" At the end, I hate this. Symposium, yeah. Like here we are studying Gilead (laughs) years later. Yep. And and I was like, I can't believe this is happening again. (laughs) It's so stupid. It's just a rehash of the everything we already know. There's nothing new. I mean, I found myself so many times in this book saying, "We already fucking know this." Look, I sound just like you're um, Jill. Person. Yeah. It's the, the, raw, the raw, person. The raw person. I just didn't understand why we had to find... I mean, look, we, yeah. in our first time talking, we talked about what we thought probably was going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that exact fucking thing happened. Yeah. And then the second time we talked, it was like, okay, maybe it'll be like this. And that's exactly <laughs> what went down. The only thing we didn't predict was the, the fact that they had to ride a rubber raft... Yeah. Onto yeah. the shore of Canada. Yeah, and she had oh, to learn also, how row. Oh, that—that that it was important to put a chip in Baby Nicole's arm of yeah. all people, uh-huh. like a bacterial infected, infe- a bacterially infested chip. Like, first of all, can I just ask where is the internet?
2: Yeah, there's n- there's nothing that there's, there's no all, internet. This lady went to law school and she didn't wipe off a blade with an alcoholic swab. <laughs> The doctors were killed. (laughs) Oh, my God. We actually
1: have a pretty great voicemail about the fucking symposium, as I like to call it.
0: (laughs) Uh, This is Crystal. I think the ending is especially poignant because Aunt Lydia envisioned a female scholar discovering her work. And it turns out that uh, a female scholar does a scholar in training But she hands it over to uh, her professor to authenticate, and then it's her professor that's the one up there giving this big speech. So, again, it feels like the male is co-opting the female discovery and the female journey.
2: Ooh, and kind of kind of a shitty male.
1: That's the thing. Uh That is one thing I did kind of like about the symposium is that I wrote, cute, the dudes are still bigots. (laughs) Like the line, that guy, his opening thing that he says when the woman introduces him up onto the stage is, now that women are usurping leadership positions to such a terrifying extent, I hope you will not be too severe on me. And then he has to apologize for the inappropriate jokes he had made last time around. And I do think that's kind of a fascinating commentary. And I don't think she went there enough as I would have liked but the idea that like yeah y'all can overthrow gilead but like you're still gonna have some real dicks everywhere
2: yeah these guys who literally study this for a living yeah got zero takeaway from it that says maybe don't treat women like exactly
1: exactly yeah like we're still gonna call them usurpers
2: when they (laughs) are allowed to be in charge and who opens a speech hey sorry about that last speech (laughs) I was an asshole
3: <laughs> it just, you know, honestly, I, I i saw the point, but it just it felt so kind of clownish,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure.
3: like yeah, I think that maybe I came to this book with too much like Margaret Wood. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Well, yeah, I mean, I did too. but I just felt like that that I didn't really buy that an, an academic would say I mean, you know, my husband's an academic, okay, mm-hmm. and he has to take like like three hour long training courses in sensitivity. And he just laughs at how stupid all the examples are. You know, it's like, (laughs) hey, what you working on, hot stuff? You know, just like (laughs) silly things. But I mean, obviously a lot of people need that. But I do think that the academic world, generally speaking, is a little bit more. I mean, I would 2149. I guess things do kind of there's a ton of backlash every few milliseconds, as we've seen. And things regress. I didn't completely buy that it would be that blatant
1: i kind of wanted something slightly more subtle yeah yeah. that yeah that makes sense so jill what was your immediate reaction when you finished
2: i finished it yesterday morning i was uh home i had a terrible headache yesterday oh i'm sorry and i stayed home and got some rest and then like put my little like audio book on like the like gentlest (laughs) volume (laughs) <laughs> and just, like, lied under the blankets, buried up to my chin, like, listening to the dulcet tones of Aunt Lydia <laughs> tell me about the to- the falling of-, of Gilead. But when I was done, I- nobody else was home. My dog was there. <laughs> and I was like, Ollie, they made it to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, yeah, I know. We all saw that coming. He's like, duh. <laughs> but no, I was, you get the chapter titles on uh-huh. our, on the audiobook. So uh-huh. I knew that there was going to be a symposium of yeah. some sort at the end. But I didn't know it was going to mirror that, like, tack, tacked on vibe that the first one had. I thought at least in the last forty years or however long, 35 years, someone would have said to Margaret Atwood, people didn't like the way that first one ended, (laughs) maybe don't end the second one the exact same way. Like that was people's least favorite part of the book. And then the acknowledgments came and I read I listened to the acknowledgments, and thank God that I did because uh she just swooped in and was like, okay. Here's why I did this, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, thank you for the explanation, Margaret. Oh. That was that was appreciated." I
1: don't think it was a significant explanation. It wasn't significant,
2: well but I was still just I liked. I wanted to hear from her, like where she was coming from on the on the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I was frustrated by that mostly because of her line about how like I've spent 35 years thinking about
3: how this <laughs> book could go. Oh God! It was
1: like wait, but. But this is it?
3: If it's all about Alfred, right? I mean, if it's the other thing, you've got two characters who are related to Alfred, who are Alfred's daughters. Yeah. And then you've got Alfred there. And both dudes. Yeah. (laughs) Both both dads. dads. Yeah. I mean, we don't know anything about these dads, right? Really? Right. We still want to know more about Nick if we're me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And. I can imagine a reality where she just wrote an inconclusive ending or a, an ending that there was no, I love you, mommy. I love you too, honey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I mean, the, the thing that bugged me also was Alfred didn't say anything more than, oh, girls, yeah. hey. You don't
1: know me yet.
3: Yeah. I mean, the whole story is essentially about her. Right. You'd think that there would be some kind of like beautiful passage
1: Where she talks about, I mean, it's just like there's so much opportunity here. Well, and I think the thing is, right, like it should be, it either should be all about her or it shouldn't be at all, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's what's so frustrating about it is we've got, we're in this weird middle ground right now where it's like, you know, even with the symposium, this dude spends so much time talking about if they are able to figure out whether these girls are the daughter of the lady who left the tapes. And it's like... But we already know they are, right? right? I mean, why do we
3: need that? Exactly. It's and
1: I mean, why should we care necessarily? Like, if we didn't have Handmaid's Tale, we wouldn't care anyway, you know. And so it's just, then it's just like, well, then what does it matter?
2: This felt very end of Back to the Future two to me, <laughs> with the end question mark. Like, is this the final installment in the Handmaid's Tale? Do we get a Handmaid's Tale trilogy now? To like. Find out where Offred was this whole time and what Nick was up to. What happened to baby daddy number one? Uh, this leaves me with more an- questions than answers.
1: Yeah, I think that's partly – yeah, I mean – well, and before we even started reading the book, I said I wanted to watch this regime topple. And we didn't even really get to see that. I want to see the trial, you know. I... Well, and yeah, yeah like I want to know what happened in the trial. I want to know – What Aunt Lydia said when those footsteps came to her room, and I understand that then it wouldn't have worked with the structure, you know, and the different—the fact that she's writing the holograph or whatever, but it's like, come on, like, give us—like, let us see it unravel. Like, where the fuck is Commander Judd and what happens to him and, and like, what has Alfred been up to and how does she deal with the fact that— She's got two baby daddies who apparently all live in the vicinity now. Like there are so many more compelling questions to be had that weren't
2: answered. In the symposium, they talk about how they found all of these, uh, you know, documents and uh, accounts of of what happened. Mm -hmm. And that the the speaker said that he and his team took the liberty of numbering the pages when he was – distributing them to the people at the symposium because they didn't have the luxury of knowing exactly what order any of this happened in. So in my mind if there is a sequel they could they still have time to give a symposium number 3 later down the line or they find Offred's journal or they find the the microfiche or whatever it mm-hmm. was that was implanted into her and then that's what fills in these gaps not just for us but for those like future Gilead historians.
3: But what would you... Okay, so besides, like, the the first person... I mean, I think that the first person... Now that we're talking about it, the first person narration actually kind of failed, right? It wasn't... It didn't... Mm-hmm. It didn't accomplish the same things that the first book accomplished. It didn't give us the a flavor. I mean, to me, it felt like... You took something that was claustrophobic and filled with paranoia and very visceral, and you turned it into this mundane kind of boring experience that's more like actually living under our current weird, strange political situation. You know, it's like it's just as boring. Commander Judd is just as stupid as some of the people who might or might not be in charge of our country right now. And it's just like this is the problem, right? what are we missing? Like, what do we want to know about Gilead now? I don't want to know more. I think I've had enough. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you knew about Alfred's backstory in Canada, I mean, that would be far more interesting. Granted. Yes. than baby Nicole, this is a kid who grew up in Canada and then g- gets sent to uh, Gilead and is like, wow, this place is fucked up. Like that's her whole story. she's somewhat she's just us reading the handmaid's tale you know she has no other layer to her besides i have a crush on this invisible dude garth (laughs) someone just put a chip in my arm why did they risk my life since i'm so precious why did i have to be the one to do this job no reason i mean but also what what do we she's a completely pointless character She's yeah. not a person we need to know anything about. Every single time she talks about things, man, this yeah. persecution shit is really
1: fucked up, guys.
3: <laughs> it's Like, <laughs> yeah, well,
1: yeah. Oh, Garth. Who the fuck is Garth? <laughs> so Heather, if what, we don't you? get t-shirts man. <laughs> yeah, who
3: the fuck is Garth? <laughs>
1: Dot com. Yeah, I would use a tote bag that said that on it. Uh, what you had to say just now, Heather, reminded me of the BBC's review that I thought was actually excellent, which my mother pointed me to because she finished the book before we did and was just as frustrated as we were and couldn't talk to me about it because she was like, is it okay if I read ahead? And I said, yes, but you can't say anything to me about it <laughs> until I finish. And she was really good about it. So this BBC article they said the testaments is a weaker and less satisfying book because instead of being an offered's head we have three different points of view and because it's literally all over the place too it's mm. not you know as claustrophobic as you've said it is heather okay so <laughs> this is so good She writes, the Testaments is all over the place. Bus, boat, van, woods, river, sea, school, dentist, diner, hotel, condo, charity shop, refugee center. The later chapters turn into a road tripping buddy movie with prayerful Agnes and kick ass Nicole as the mismatched odd couple. Three of the Nicole scenes are so obvious, so made for a film franchise, the Hunger Games and Bonnets that I almost laughed. There's a Karate Kid montage as Nicole learns to fight, a (laughs) tough girl makeover complete with tattoo and green hair and a night spent by Nicole chastely in the arms of the Muscular yet sensitive Garth, Harry. Stubbs. Who the fuck is Garth? <laughs> <laughs> I do think that was just like that. Just summed it up pretty beautifully, though. Yeah, it's like, yep, that's that's what that was. But you know, even each of these scenes, it's
3: not like I remember them that well. They weren't memorable. It wasn't no, like no, no, that's
1: true. You know,
3: ooh, she's she's really into fighting. This, you know, it, that just felt like a convenient like when she punches Aunt um, Aunt. What's her name? Which one that's was Vidala, Vidala, right? Wasn't yeah. it Vidala? She, pun- yeah. she sucker punches on Vidala, <laughs> and <laughs> Vidala falls to the ground and appears to have had a stroke. Yeah, Is she dead? Yeah. <gasps> oh, shit. Is she dead? Let's go. Um, then we added this scene where it's like she was upstairs doing
1: some sort of exercise. It turned out to be judo. <laughs> you
3: know, it wasn't, like, really a scene.
1: <laughs> no, that's very true. And that's the whole thing, right? I mean, it's the same deal with, like... And somehow I knew that it was Lydia who was leaving me these files. Like, why on earth would you think that it was Lydia who was leaving you those files? We're just going to skip over that, like, potential moment of discovery and interaction between two of the three most important characters in this book?
3: They're every, you know, this this leads to a problem that I have. It's every single thing that could be a little bit more complicated was sidestepped and made more simple. And as a writer, I honestly have to say that it reminds me of... This bad novel, a draft of a bad novel, I wrote the first time I tried to write a novel. I mean, huh. I've tried many times, and I've never succeeded, so I should probably shut up, <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to Go um, on, but you make things really easy on yourself when you don't know what the hell you're doing, yeah you know i mean, and i'm not I'm not implying that Margaret Atwood doesn't know what she's doing. Oh I my just God, no. I was confused by why she would at every turn, make a choice that was just the easiest possible choice. Oh, we don't have to see that. Like, all the things that we wanted to see, we didn't get
1: to see. Right. Well, and it's not even the easiest... I mean, it's also the the fact of the explication, right? It's mm-hmm. the fact that we don't get to see any of these scenes unravel because we just have the one line that's like, oh, yeah, she's doing her exercises. Oh, yeah, I knew it was Aunt Lydia who did this thing. Oh, yeah, it was written in the file that baby Nicole happens to be in Gilead. It's just like... There's just no, there's nothing exciting in that discovery, which you would think she would at least have made it actually suspenseful.
3: Yeah. It was a tiny bit suspenseful when Aunt Lydia was starting to get found out, right? Yeah. Right before they leave. When Aunt so Lydia is kind of, like, before she, she was finds out to... that
1: Judd is like raiding, the, he's like, they, the dudes have busted into the place yeah. where they live yeah. for
2: the first time. She probably developed a bead of sweat. <laughs>
3: I was kind of of hoping something would go kind of horribly wrong. Me too!
2: Is that terrible? That I was like, oh yeah, get her. Just like to to shake things up.
3: Yeah, because it was so obvious that it was going to be pulled off without a hitch, you know?
1: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I don't know, maybe the best symbolic example of this is the infected arm actually, right? So, baby Nicole gets this tattoo that says God love, and it's infected from the get-go. It's itchy and weird, and that Is where Aunt Lydia puts the microfiche or whatever, the micro dot is in this infected tattoo. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's, like, partly the reason why baby Nicole can't help row this tiny boat. Mm -hmm. And, all you know, she has to teach Agnes what an oar is and get her to row the freaking boat. And then she gets some antibiotics and it's fine, you know? Because, like, even that, there's this moment where you're like, oh, shit, is she going to lose her arm because of this horrible infection? You know? Like, no. They're just going to give her an IV. It's all good. It's interesting, too, that I didn't I thought it was the chip with the information in it that gave
3: her the infection. Oh, no. But but maybe it was helped. It kind (laughs) of makes sense uh, if you really want to talk about all the philosophical significance here. That a God love tattoo would actually give her an infection. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes sense. It's a, li- you know, it's like it's a, If you dig a little bit, you find things like that, and you're kind of like, okay, okay, right, right. There's yeah. something there, but it's st- but it's kind of still kind of
1: dopey. Yeah. Okay, let's listen to another voicemail. This is Sarah. Hey nerdette, I give the Testaments a solid number two warm milk rating, meaning. It's warm milk,
3: but colder than room temperature. So overall, I'd say The Testaments was a disappointment. Kind of like when it's Burger Day at your office, but there aren't any buns available because the bosses don't believe in gluten. I really wanted there to be so much more complexity to
0: Aunt Lydia. She's the most interesting, gripping character. But in the end, the book pretty much fell flat, and it left much to be desired. Thanks for listening. Sarah from Chicago.
1: Burger Hi. Day, man.
3: Now I want bread.
2: <laughs> no. That's a very specific example. I know. Yeah, <laughs> like that's obviously happened <laughs> like, did, to her. I know,
1: poor Sarah. That's I hate so that intense. office so much right now. <laughs> no one can have gluten. Damn, that does speak to the the power of high expectations, though, and the disappointment of high expectations too, right? Because it's like if there just weren't ever Burger Day, then you wouldn't be really excited about it. And I think that is partly the problem with this book. Like, I would have, I think, I would have been less annoyed. If it were just like a debut novel from somebody.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, one good thing about it is, similar to Burger Day when they don't bring the buns, (laughs) it's not just bad burgers. It's actually kind of fun how messed up it is that you show up and there are no buns. Like, that's how I felt about this (laughs) book. It's like, God damn, there aren't buns here at all. (laughs) (laughs) This is Screwed. You guys are fucked in the head. Like that, you know, it was enjoyable. It got more and more enjoyable for me. Because I have to say, personally, I want to go on the record. I called it from the very beginning. I did not like the book straight out of the gate. That's I was true. in a really bad mood at first about it. And now I'm like giddy with hating
1: it. it is, it's it is fun, fun to hate
3: things It is fun. sometimes. Well,
1: and it's funny because, I mean, I had this moment. I don't know if I... I think I did mention this to you guys where... Uh, several probably like a month ago maybe even more than that I was telling my mom about the book club and she was like well why should I read Handmaid's Tale and I was like because we're doing this book club and she's like but isn't it horrible and I was like well yeah but it's like an exciting professional thing that I'm doing and it would be great if you followed along and so then she finished you know I finally finished the fucking testaments and I call her and I'm like I am so sorry (laughs) that I made you read this book and she was like, that's OK, because now we get to
2: bitch about it together. <laughs> that's, that's nice right. mother-daughter activity. Well, and it's, it's
3: a
1: little bit you know, like ripping up a chicken together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: need two people to do that, you know? You do. Well, and, I, you know, it got me wondering, like, shoot, is this a weird book club thing to do if the book actually turns out to not be that great? But I think in some circumstances, it's actually really useful to have people you can turn to where it's like, was it just me? Yeah. Or are there no fucking buns here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's, we're one step ahead, you guys, because that review, the BBC review, I think that you were just reading, yeah. this is gonna be a television show, right? Like, this is gonna be... Yeah, a, has like, it already been optioned, even? I don't know, but, like, sure. I feel like that's <laughs> a really fair thing to say. So now we're, now we don't have to watch that.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: that's, that's one less like, so thing we I've, have to take that. in. We've already you know, seen
2: it, but we'll be fine.
3: Did you know that Margaret Atwood didn't make a dime off of the TV? Well, okay, she was a consultant on the TV show for Hulu, but she sold the rights to uh, I think MGM for the movie back in eighty 80- oh, whatever wow. six five. Mm. So, um, so she actually. This is very cynical, but it kind of feels like this book is a cash cow, <laughs> you know. Given, I mean, you'd be frustrated if you were just like a consultant on a show that was pretty popular at exactly the right time. But you don't own the rights to the you don't own the film rights to the source material anymore. That's Mm. interesting. So,
1: yeah, this uh, Hulu has purchased this. Oh, okay. well, here we are. So the the Testaments Testaments is
2: going to be. Who do you think they're going to cast besides (laughs) Harry Styles for Garth, obviously?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it does. I did end up kind of wondering, like, is this just. Like, we had Handmaid's Tale, which was a perfectly good book on its own that got a very popular TV show. And because of that, Atwood decided it was time for a sequel, you know?
3: Well, I mean, I can understand thinking about it for 35 years and saying, how did it turn
1: out? Yeah, I mean, it was probably really fun for her to write it. Especially, like, to be in the head of Aunt Lydia. It's almost like it should have been just Aunt Aunt Lydia, period. Yeah, I think that would have made us stronger.
0: If it were Aunt Lydia
3: and through kind of similar to Handmaid's Tale, we actually saw... What Aunt Lydia was thinking about day after day. huh. Um, sort of explored her
1: guilt more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would have been cooler. Let's listen to another voicemail. This is Courtney.
0: So I give this book three more milks at most. It is a disappointing, very tidy piece of trash. And I hate that <laughs> because I had such high hopes for it. And I hate most to say, it, but the TV show was so much better in this book everything works out just fine and it's gross and i don't like it three warm gross milks <laughs> <laughs> wait now am i crazy for giving this like a six and
2: a half out of ten like i feel like i was like yeah sure I'm alone no no for this no ride. no
1: i liked your point about it being like compelling enough to want to talk to a stranger on the street about because i think that is kind of a cool rating and it actually speaks to isabel Gave it a slightly higher rating, too. So you're not alone. Yeah, and I I was convinced by what you said, Jill. Yeah, me too. It was like, oh, maybe I am too mean. But then I decided to double down on it. Yeah. I mean, we (laughs) enjoyed it. Enjoy the the ride. Exactly. Let's listen to one last voicemail. This is Isabel. Hi, Nerdette. This is Isabel calling in with my review. Um, I think on a scale of 1 to 10 warm milks, though I do take issue with that rating system as it feels like any more than one more milk is a bad thing um but i would probably give it a 6.2 out of 10 um i enjoyed the book and i found myself wanting to read more but i ultimately felt a, a little let down at the end and things were a little too neat and tidy and some things didn't feel as fully developed as they could have been but overall just want to say thanks for starting this book club and it's really been a great way for me to get back into reading, which I love so much. So thanks again. Bye. I mean, if it got Isabel reading again, I think we should just call it a win, you know? Boom. Yeah. It got me reading again, Greta. <laughs> really? Had you not
3: been reading, Heather? No, I I had been reading. But I, you know, I haven't read a novel in a long time, actually. Really? I've been reading a lot of nonfiction, yeah. So this oh, was kind cool. of it was kind of nice to also to have an assignment and say I have to read 100 pages. <laughs> yeah. No matter what.
1: Um, okay, well, thanks for being part of this book club, you two. This has been really fun. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed
3: it. Uh, you know, ne- next Wednesday, I might just, if you were to call me or email me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. <laughs> okay. I might just be heating up warm milk. Great, great. All alone <laughs> I might just in my take house, you up on that.
1: That sounds beautiful. <laughs> weeping
3: into my warm milk. Yeah, and you missing don't even you have to
1: go to go to a studio for us to just chat on the phone. That sounds lovely. <laughs> I'm sad that it's ending. <laughs> Me too. Well, and as y'all listeners know, this was a bit of an experiment. We would love to hear what you think. Send your feedback to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. If you're wondering what to read next, we have some great ideas for you, and they are in this week's newsletter. You can find that by going to the episode notes of this week's show, or you can just sign up for it at wbez.org slash AF. We will be <laughs> back with a normal nerdette on October 18th. The show is produced by me and Justin Buller. Executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Thanks, you guys. Let's all hang out in real life someday. Let's do it. And not oh. drink warm milk. No, Mm-mm. we'll drink some booze or something. Even kombucha.
2: Oh. Oh. (laughs)
0: Who the fuck is Garth? Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.